says, let us come, let us worship, let us bow down. The Lord our God, our Maker. Lord, I simply and yet sincerely pray what we just sang. You would speak to us. You would open our eyes and our ears, our spiritual receptors. You would speak to us in clear, very personalized ways. Show each of us where we are, what direction we're moving, drifting from you, chasing after you. You know what's going on, what we're thinking what we're trying to cover up, what we're trying to fix, what we're trying to gain, what we're trying to lose. You know all of that about all of us. I'm asking that you would speak to our hearts. That you would use your word and the promptings, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that you would dispatch to each of us that we might, in a very practical, functional, applicable way, hear from you. Not some weird, bizarre, purely emotional thing, but some life-changing, profound, spiritual way. You would speak to our hearts. You would capture our will. And indeed, you would have your way because we've come to believe that your way is always the best. Speak to our hearts, God, please, for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Open your Bibles to the Psalms. We're in Psalms 107 today, Psalm 107. We have been working through the Psalms all summer. I have enjoyed this immensely. quick review, at least my share of these eight weeks. Pastor Jose will finish out the series in the next two weeks. Um, due to my schedule, his schedule, travel, and all of that, uh, it worked out that I preached the last, this being the third week in a row, which is pretty rare. We usually alternate at least every other, sometimes two and two. Um, might remember that Bill Costa was to be with us, and he had to cancel due to visa issues from Lebanon, and um, I covered then, and that's why I'm here three weeks in a row with you, not here, but speaking for us these three weeks. But anyhow, back on, on track here. Um, my songs that I've been looking at began with 24. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and the everlasting doors, and the King of glory will come in. How, how, how do we get to the presence of God? How do we, well, and, and we covered it. That's Psalm 24. Two weeks ago, it was Psalm 42 and 43. For David says, I, like a deer is panting for the water, my soul is panting after you. And I'm wondering how true that might be of us. Are we indeed that kind of desperate, panting, pursuing after? We talked about that. And the big phrase there was, why am I so depressed? Why am I so discouraged? Why am I cast down? Hope in God. You've got to learn to talk to yourself, to preach to yourself, to give the scriptures to yourself. Last week, Psalm 73 Massive confession by Asaph, A-S-A-P-H, not David. And, and he says simply and profoundly, shamefully this, I was envious of the wicked. And I suspect there's not a one of us in the room who at various times have not been envious of the wicked. And we spend a lot of time talking about that and how to function and, and or whether function is speak to yourself, uh, preach to yourself, counsel yourself from the scriptures. Yeah, this, this has got to be so. And why that's such a, 
a non-productive pursuit. We come to 107, at least in my part of these psalms this summer. We come to 107, and again, a lot of repetition and a kind of a, well, these, these prayers were turned into songs. And, and you'll get the sense of, of rhythmic, a verse and a chorus, a verse and then repeat the chorus, and a verse and then repeat the chorus till again as we work our way through Psalm 107. But I, I want to, rather than just start at the beginning and work our way through, it's a lengthy psalm of 43 verses, I want to break it up in what we would say verse and chorus. I, I want to jump around a bit and I want to cover some verses with you, and then we'll look at this chorus that keeps reoccurring and reoccurring. And, and reoccurring. So I've, I've laid it up for you in, in print in the bulletin. Let's see if we can do this together and make some sense of this beautiful, beautiful psalm. The point I want you to catch in the beginning in these opening verses, especially verses 4 down to verse 27, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you are or how you got there. What your trouble is, what your struggle is, is probably not the same as the person next to you, in front of you, behind you, sitting here uh, in, in church this morning. Everyone's struggling with something, and God will speak to each of us in a unique and very personalized way. Now, he, he tells us where this is going to end up in the first three verses. At the very beginning, he'll, he'll make a kind of a summary statement about what the whole objective of this song, this psalm is. So read that. Let's begin there. Psalm 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. It's a big theme there. Let the redeemed talk about it. Let the redeemed say that God is good. Not because, well, we just say that and you say it enough to start to believe it. No, my experience is, is, is compelling me to say this because I've been messed up. I've been envious of the wicked. I've been, well, what have you been through? And still working your way through. And when God shows up and, and we discover his mercy and his forgiveness and his faithfulness to restore us, then we have something to say. So let us say so. Verse 2 and then verse 3. I love this word gathered. This is the uh, English standard version, but the, the, the theme is not going to be changed. The, the, the synonyms may alter from translation to translation. Very reliable translation. And, and I just love this word gathered. He's come and found us and drew us to himself. He's gathered us to him. He's gathered, and look where from. We're not all the same. East and west, north and south, and on and on those distinctions like that. Rich and poor, educated, not so much educated, skilled, highly skilled, barely skilled, on and on. And we can use that stuff to measure significance, which is always faulty. Always a, a faulty way to measure people, as if we should be measuring people at all in any dimension. God is gathering us from all kinds of places, geographically, academically, biologically, experientially. He's gathering us from the broad breadth of human existence that he might transform us and give us a life that screams to the surrounding public, God is doing something in that person's life. I've known that person. They used to be this, but now they're this. We used to count on them to behave this way, but now there's a difference in, in their thinking and their behavior. God is doing something different here. He's gathering us from all these different places. And he gives, starting in verse 4, like I said, down to verse 27, four, at least I count them as four, categories, not rigid. In fact, some would say this is a progressive thing, that the first group becomes the second group, becomes the third group, becomes the fourth, 
Uh, because I know it's not so progressive, it is distinct. Uh, I'm not going to consume any time on that other than mentioning there's this, this view. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 4. Some wandered in desert wastes. I don't imagine any of us have ever walked across the desert. I've driven across the desert in Southern California. My middle daughter lived in San Diego. And and my brother lives in Albuquerque. So I see my brother, and then I head west over to San Diego. And you better make sure you've got enough gas and enough water. Because if you run out of gas, you run out of water, there's nothing. Imagine walking. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul, not their throat. This is poetry. The songs are poems, they're songs. It's poetry. You're not just talking about, well, oh, that's tough walking across the desert. No, what he's saying, I tell you what's tough. You're feeling like you're so dry and barren and you can't find where God is. This is poetry. Finding no way, no, no help, no one else, no water, no gas, no food. All alone, destitute, hungry and thirsty. Not just their throat and their hunger, their soul. I'm going to die out here by myself, all alone, with no help. And there's no doubt a handful of people in the room right now who have felt that way or may be going through something like that now. There's a second group. Verse 10. Some sat in darkness, in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. The first group in verse 4, they wandered into a mess. They didn't think it was going to wind up that way. That was not their intention. They stumbled into that. And I've had some messes in my life that I stumbled into. But there's this other problem in verse 10 that I just sat down out of rebellion and, and defiance. Nope, not going to do that. I don't care what you say, Mom, Dad. I ain't doing that. I don't want you. I don't, I don't care if you're the boss or not. Wherever I work, you, you, I ain't doing that. And we got rebellious. We just went on strike. If not literally, you get the point. Emotionally. They're sitting in darkness in the shadow of death. Prisoners in affliction and irons. Because, verse 11, they had rebelled. I ain't doing that. I know, Mom, you all about Jesus. I don't care nothing about Jesus. Because they had rebelled against the words of God. And spurned. What a great word, spurned. Yeah, I hear you. It don't mean nothing to me. It doesn't mean a thing to me. We reject it. We throw it off. Spurned the counsel. It doesn't simply say of God, but the Most High, who knows everything. But now all of a sudden, I'm smarter than God? Mark Wink said, it's amazing. It's amazing. How smart teenagers become when they get to be like 22, 23, 24. Amazing. Idiots become brilliant with the lessons of life. We've spurned the counsel of God, not just mom and dad or whoever else is in charge. There's a third group. Verse 17, some were fools to their sinful ways. It's not so much rebellion as, oh, no, this, is, this is my, this is how I live. This is how I find my pleasure. Everybody else is doing this, and, and they may be having fun. I'm going to have fun with them. And we were foolish. Foolish is different than stupid. Well, their first husbands make no mistake. But it is, there is some distinction here that, that, that we're so deceived that we can't see the stupidity of it because the masses are doing this. They're both doing this. They can be having just loads of fun. 
Well, we need to go to church, and that don't seem like much fun. Some are fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction to the point that they couldn't find satisfaction or joy in life. Verse 18, this is poetry. They loathe any kind of food. They drew near to the gates of death. They're sick. Not just biologically sick. Philosophically sick. Sociologically sick. Nothing satisfies. I thought this would be fun. It's not fun. It was for 15 minutes, but it's not fun anymore. I thought this would satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. I thought this would give contentment. It doesn't give contentment. In fact, I keep having to go further, go deeper, do more, something even more disgusting, and it's still not satisfying. Lastly, verse 23, this is the longest of, of the four, and some think it's distinct, I do not, this is still poetry, verse 23, some went down to the sea in ships. As if taking a cruise is wicked. I think the greater line in 23 is the second line, doing business, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. He commanded and raised the stormy winds, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. And their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. And they came to their wits' end. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? He's using a storm at sea to only illustrate how you feel when you say to yourself in verse 23, we're going we're gonna to get a job in this big firm and we're going to make big money. And you're going to raise up high and make a lot of money. And you're going to get thrown down when the wave passes under the ship, and now the ship is just falling to the waters. You're going to think, what a drown! And you'll raise back up and make money, and you'll fall and have a cousin, or had a cousin who lost his life in a murder. And three different times, and we're the same age, I think, one of us six months older, I forget which. We're only six months were, six months apart. He says, Dave, I've, I've made and lost multiple millions three different times. And we talked about this very passage, he and I. So you might see yourself in one of these four descriptions or maybe a little bit of all of them. I have been clueless, just wandered about, and I got into a mess. Or I have just got stubborn and rebellious and sit down and went on some kind of strike, you get the idea there, and, and, and you've experienced the consequences of that. I've been mocking and scorning, say, I ain't interested in that. I got no interest in that whatsoever. And I just got to have to go to church. I don't listen anymore because I'm in college now. I'm grown now. I got my own family now. I ain't doing that no more. Because it's silly and it's shallow and it's feeling. I ain't doing it. It's scorners. Or you finally got yourself together. I know what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm taking charge of my life. God's my life, but I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make some money. I'm going to change my environment. I'm going to get out of this mess, off the farm, out of this neighborhood. I'm going to make something of myself. Off we go. So whether it's shades of all four or uniquely, specifically one, there's this sense of, I can do life apart from God. Pick your illustration, pick your dysfunction, but it's always the same. I really don't need God as much as you say I need God. I want to prove it to you and to myself, and I'm going to be okay. Okay. All right. 
Look at verse 33, and I, I want you to just catch this, this short little paragraph, 33 and 38. And there's two points made. In the first two verses, 33, 34, you'll see it, and it sounds kind of negative. And then it'll shift, and, and you'll see the other side of it starting in verse 35. But start with me in verse 33. He, God, turns rivers into a desert. Rivers into a desert. What was fruitful and lush and provisional has become useless and wasteful. God can do that. And He will do that. He has done that and will continue to do it in individual lives or families or groups or communities. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste. He's the lust garden. Now, you can't grow nothing. N-U-T-T-I-N, nothing there. It, because there's no life there at all. And it used to be lush and fertile. Not anymore. Because God touched it. He touched it because of, last line of 34, the evil of the people dwelling there. You think you live apart from me? Watch what happens when I withdraw what I do. Because I cause stuff to grow. I cause the air to be clean. I cause the wind to move. I cause it to rain. But I can stop feeding this anytime I want. Now, how are you going to do? So sometimes he gets our attention that way. 33, 34. But now 35. He can turn a desert into a pool of water. I can dry you out, or I can moisten and flourish you beyond your wildest dreams. He turns deserts into pools, parched land into springs of water, and he lets the hungry dwell. And they do find, oh, we could build a life here. We, we, we could have... Family here, we can have a relationship here. This would be a great place to live. This would be awesome. God can do that. We'll sow fields, verse 37, plant vineyards, have a fruitful yield. You'll have plenty to eat. But everything comes, verse 38, by his blessing. At his hand. And if he has to dry you out, 33, 34, he will do that. Or he may just bless you beyond anything that you deserve. And do any of us think that we deserve the blessings of God? We do not. So that's, that's, that's the big facts of the psalm. That we get these attitudes and, and, and pick your four categories that I've showed you. We're going to do this, 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 this. I'm going to behave this way. I'm going to take charge. I'm going to run my life. God says, well, okay, go for it. But just know this. I can do this or I can do that. I can shut you down or I, I can open a way for you that no one can stop. I, 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 can, I can make it to where you can't move. Or I can move heaven and earth so you can go and do whatever I prompt you to do. It's in these two realities, these two irrefutable facts, that God is God and he made us. And as much as we think we're, we're autonomous and independent, he'll remind us, no, you're not autonomous. You did not make yourself and you are not independent and you depended upon me. And he will remind us of that in profound ways. Those are the facts. You can ignore them, go on strike, sit down, back to those four categories. You can do all that, but at some point you'll come to realize, I'm not bigger than God. I'm not bigger than God. So what am I going to do? Now, don't forget when we begin in verse 1, 2, and 3 that he's, he's talking to people, believers, 
redeemed, let the redeemed say they are, from all over the world, all the four corners of the earth. And then, and then this, he's saying stuff like this because we've all been through this. And maybe you're going through a course of it right now. We've all been through this. And you think we could learn our lesson and say, oh, I've been redeemed. Let me tell you what I've learned in my life experiences. My moments of rebellion. My moments of, 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 of self-sufficiency. Let me tell you what I've learned. It's, it's in these, these other remaining categories that I, I, I want you to see the real heart of, of the passage. So, Go back, Go back to our back categories then. Look at verse 6 and 7. There's a lot of redundancy here now. Verse 6 and 7. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distresses. That phrase repeats itself four times. Um, I'm going to read it every time because he hears it over and over and over and over. Something will happen that will say, Oh, God, help me, I'm sorry. Family's falling apart. My health is falling apart. I, I got fired 13 times in 14 months. You get the point. God, I've really messed this up. They cried, they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them. He delivered them from their distress. People say, oh, you Christians, you've always been nice. There ain't no Christian always been anything. But rebellious. That's what we've been. He's talking to the redeemed here. And we've all been in these four categories. We've all embraced these attitudes. We've all thought, I'm the man. I'm the man. Woman. I, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm in charge. Go ahead. And God will be here when you, when, when you just collapse. They cried to the Lord. He delivered them. Verse 7. He led them by a straight way so they reached safety and grace. What do you mean by city to dwell in? Where you're not all by yourself, alone. And no, he, he's put a network, a spiritual family, a biological family. He, he's put people around you that love you and care for you, and you learn to love and care for them, and you're interdependent, and all of your collective God, you've got to help us because we've learned our lesson. I ain't ever going to do this again, and we do. And then we get back home, and we say, I ain't ever going to do this again, and we do, and we get back home, and so our lives go. What I'm praying for is we stay home longer and our moments of stupidity and rebellion are shorter and we go home quicker. That's verse 6 and 7. Look at 13 and 14. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. Isn't that beautiful? Because when you cry in your trouble, he will come. These, he brought them out of darkness. Out of the shadow of death. Remember what we read back in verse 10? He brought them out of that darkness and burst their bonds like their chain death. He can break the bonds, the chains that you think are holding you down. I want to lovingly ask you to consider it's it's there are some chains, but they're traceable to your own attitude. Some have been victimized. Rape happens. Some people have just been victimized. That's true. And the Bible speaks to that, by the way. But in my experience, at least in my own life and the people I deal with mostly, that's not the norm. Most of us are in chains of our own creation. We thought we could get close enough to some wickedness and satisfy our flesh a little bit and then run back to church on Sunday. But in one of those little trips to the fair, we got snatched up. And we don't know how to get free. Because Satan will always take you deeper than you thought you were going to go. Make you stay longer than you ever wanted to stay. 
But verse 14 says he will bring you out of that darkness. And he will break the chains, the bands that are holding you there. Is that beautiful? That's good preaching right there. Verse 19 and 20. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word. Just think about that. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. There was light. And when God says, let them go. Pharaoh says, I let these people go. But Pharaoh did let them go. Because when God speaks and speaks and speaks loud enough, even Pharaoh says, can't argue with God. Please leave. We will give you money to leave. And the Egyptians did. And when we, when we, verse, what's our verse? Uh, 19, cry unto the Lord in our trouble. When we cry, God, I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm not just asking for a better situation. I know what I've done. I don't want to ever be in this kind of situation again. I'm truly repenting. When we cry out of our distress, all he has to do is speak a word. One of my favorite New Testament gospel stories is, is the, 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 the uh, Roman soldier. Roman soldier. He, he's not raised Hebrew. He doesn't know Old Testament Jehovah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's all foreign to him. But he's heard about Jesus. And he comes to Jesus and says, Master, uh, I, I, I got, was it, a, was it another servant or family member? I got someone that I care about that's, that's, that's dying. And, and I'm, I'm coming to you that, that, that you would just say something, speak a word. And Jesus, well, I'll go with you to your house. And the servant says, no, 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 you don't have to come to my house. Just speak a word. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus, this Roman soldier says, this Roman soldier, how much do you know about the, the New Testament? How much do you know about Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of God in the flesh? I, I don't think his theology was that deep. But his faith was sure. All you have to do is speak, and it's going to happen. He sent a word and healed them. And delivered them from their destruction. As if to say, their, their physical healing wasn't the main problem. That was just the attention-getting method. The real thing that had them enslaved is what they were delivered from. They were delivered from their destruction. You're not going to die. As if Jesus is saying, I got this. Lastly, in verse 28 and 30, lastly to these four groups, they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. It's intentional that that chorus is mentioned over and over and over again. Because we think we show up on church and, and take communion. We show up on church and sing and we smile and people think I'm grateful. Then, no, maybe not. Everything's good, right? No, this repeating phrase that we see now again the fourth time in verse 28 is not some superficial now I lay me down to sleep Sunday morning prayer statement thing, and oh, I'm good now. You know, you, you know what crying is. Crying is I can't hold my emotions anymore, and I don't care who's speaking. I'm, I'm sobbing. I'm broken. I'm ashamed. I'm desperate for help outside of myself. I can't fix the mess I've put myself in. And I'm crying. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them. Here's what it says. 29. He made the storms be still. <laughs> he made the storms be still. The waves were hushed. Remember Jesus falling asleep in the little boat with the apostles? Jesus, we're going to die. We're going to die. You don't care. 
made the storm be still. But when God speaks, even the elements obey. She said to the water, stop it. you, you got to envision it. How would you like for Jesus to come into your storm and say to Satan, stop it? Or you can just keep running your life. You, you can do that. But you're not able to make the storm stop, are you? Because we're not God. We think we are until the storm won't stop. And then I need someone bigger than me. And then, verse 30, they were glad. Then they were glad. When God shows up. When God does what only God can do. When the master of the sea, who made the sea, who created the current, who controls the wind, when he shows up and he speaks, well, then they were glad. And he gets us to our desired haven, a place of rest and safety and peace. The goal here, let's finish up now. I, I got like uh, 23 minutes. Don't get excited when I say finish up. The goal here is not just to get to safety. The goal is not just make the pressure stop. The, the goal is not just to, to, oh, okay, can I get back to my upper middle class American life, which I don't want to be rich and wealthy. Look, if you live in America, you're rich and wealthy. And we, I don't want to be like, like embarrassingly wealthy, but we all do. We say we don't, but I don't want to be embarrassed. I got so much money. Shut up. We should have my money. God help us. The key is not a, an elevated level of, of American existence. The key is not, I, 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 got, I have enough money, I can buy my way out of all my problems. That, that's not the goal nor the objective. The key has to do with intimacy and reliance on Christ. Don't, don't miss what the goal is here. And I want to spend most of our time, or at least the, 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 this biggest part of our remaining time, on, on that point. Let's go back to our four categories again, verse 8 and 9. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Here it comes. For he satisfies the longing soul. Remember, this first group, they, they were wandering in desert places. But he satisfies, verse 9, the longing soul and the hungry soul. He fills not hungry mouth, but the hungry soul. He fills with good things. Love, mercy, relationship, harmony, joy, peace, contentment, purpose. None of which money can buy. Money can't buy any of that. He satisfies the soul. He doesn't pad your bank account. All of us have more money than we know what to do with. And you know, that's, that's not true. If you've been around then, you, you, you know what's God doing around the globe, you would realize I need to shut my mouth. I'm, I'm, I'm stupid wealthy. I catch myself lying, lying, or at least trying not to say anything when, when I'm traveling in other countries and doing ministry, and it's, it's just the greatest joy. The interpreters were always the, the best and the brightest, last year of high school, first couple years of, of, of university, and, and they're fluent in 13 languages, it seems, and they all, all kinds of stuff, and, and they're asking me questions, asking questions between the breaks. So, so you know, I'm, I'm preaching or teaching, and they're translating, and then there's a break, and, and they'll say, oh, pastor, pastor, pastor. Uh, and, and it always gets down to this, do, do, do you have a car? 
And, and I, 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 the last thing I want to do is tell them, well, I actually have three. Maybe I'll have air conditioning. An electric seat. Maybe yours has a heater. An automatic ice defroster. And a convertible. And on and on and on with our American life. And they're blown away if you had a 10-year-old, 300,000-mile hoopty Toyota. And if they thought that you actually had a house for your car, you you have a separate house for your just your car. We are stupid wealthy, and seeking more and the wealth that we really need. We say, "I go to church. I'm one of the good guys. Why are you yelling at me?" Here's here here what the Lord will do. Here what what He will do. He will satisfy the soul. He will fill us with things that matter for eternity. Well. Let's jump to verse 39. Let's get back on track. And I'll start to, uh, I want you to see this last section. And then we'll look one more time at the rest of the passage. 39. When they are diminished and brought low to oppression, evil, sorrow. You would think, he swoops in. I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry, baby. I was was busy with those people and I didn't see. I'm sorry. Oh, no. No, no, look. When they are diminished. And brought low because of oppression, evil, and sorrow. Before he even deals with them, he'll deal with those that have hurt you. He pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. You who think you know everything and control everything, I'll show you who's in control. And he prevents the privileged from exploiting others. Verse 41, in contrast, but he raises up the needy out of their affliction and makes their families like flocks. I will tell you, here's a, here's a biblical, Old Testament, New Testament, that you can get very familiar with. God, blessedness, are almost always in Fruitfulness, multiplication, and more. We need to be rethinking because of our love of money and the power of money and what we can do with money. So we don't need 13 kids eating up all the money. We've begun to idolize small, 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 getting smaller every decade or so families. All the while the Bible is saying, like arrows in a quiver or a many children are a blessing of God. The Bible says children are the heritage of God. Here's just another of those verses. Whether it's by birth, adoption, you kind of pick up some kid in the neighborhood who doesn't have any direction and say, well, she's with us a little bit and I'll take you to your ball games and I'll do this and I'll do this. And he raises up the needy and makes their families like flocks. We have got a couple of little sheep. We got a whole flock of sheep. The upright see it and are glad. Glad. And all wickedness shut their teeth. Wow. That's what God did for them, and they don't have anything. We have everything, and we don't have that. 
whoever is wise, wise, let him understand this psalm. Let him understand this value system that's being portrayed here. Let him understand how you get yourself out of trouble. You think you get yourself out of trouble. How it's God that gets you out of trouble. And that's what gives you insight, wisdom. You're wise. Let me tell you something. And consider the love of God that delivers you. Not because you made a better deal with another crook. So, let me again finish up. Verse 8 and 9. Thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works, because he satisfies, he satisfies the longing soul. Verse 15, 16. Thank the Lord for his steadfast love. Look at the repetition. For his wonderful works to the children of men. I love verse 16. He shatters the doors of bronze. Cuts in half in two bars of iron. We think something's keeping us down. And you want to blame someone else. It's the government. If you're a Democrat, you think it's a Republican. If you're a Republican, you think it's a Democrat. It's this. It's them. It's that. It's taxes. It. You pick your poison. And on and on and on it goes. And I think this psalm is screaming at us. No, it's probably your own inattention to God. And he is using all these things that you think is a real problem to get your attention. He shatters doors. And he cuts with a torch a divine word the bars that keep us. I'm addicted to what's your sin of preference. I can't seem to get free. Well, this verse says, no, you can be free. You, you can be free. When you understand the steps that are in play in each of these four illustrations. They cried unto the Lord in their distress. And they thanked him for the pressure that drove them to their knees. And when they cried, and they were thankful for God's loving, loving chastisement. Loving chastisement. My dad used to say, in tears, in tears. Son, this won't hurt me a whole lot more than it hurt you. And I thought, that's about the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You ain't even getting hit. And then I became a parent. And that hurts me a whole lot more. And yet, whom the Lord loves, he shakes. Thank God for that. Because that's when the doors get shattered and the bars are cut in two. And we're free. We're free. And when Fiddler dies, Tim Kikinte says, ain't free a good way to be. Ain't free a good way to be. Verse 21. Let them thank the Lord. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. The children of men. And offer sacrifice. Here it comes. And tell of his deeds in songs of praise. Oh, God spanked me, and I'm the better for it. Hallelujah, I'm so glad he did. We tend to never want to talk about our sin, and certainly don't want to talk about the price we paid because of it. And we want the Christian community to think, oh, I figured this whole thing out, I cleaned myself up. We didn't clean anything up on our own, and we certainly didn't come up with the idea of how to do it. We were clinging to our sin, and God in his mercy came to us 
opened our eyes, gave us just enough pressure to make us fall on our face before him, and he sent us. Verses 31 and 32. Thank the Lord for steadfast love, wonderful works, children of men. Let him extol him, lift him up, to sing loud in worship and praise, to extol is to put on a high place, to elevate. Let, let us who've been forgiven and chastised, and restored. Extol God. Thank the Lord, 31. Extol Him, the Lord, in the congregation. Praise Him in the assembly. We tend to come to church. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to preach. Really having it. Really having it. My car broke down. My son-in-law had to take me to Baltimore twice. It ain't never been this hard before. That's nothing. It's hours of time. More than 20 bucks. A lot more than 20 bucks. It, it's nothing. Lessons learned from God. Time with my son. is good to us. Let us extol Him in the congregation and praise Him. And then it picks up again where we've already read, because He turns rivers into deserts, or 35, He turns deserts into pools. God will squeeze and do what He must do to where we all know that God is taking care of me and giving me reasons to sing. He's giving me reasons to sing. You may think, Pastor, you wouldn't say that if you know what I'm going through. Do you know what I'm going through right now? You may or may not. I may or may not know what you're going through. But I know this. God's plan to end with, no matter what you think, I'm just going to church so people know how miserable I am. The God story always ends with he comes through for his people. Whom he loves and chases, but he comes through for his people. He may turn your pool into a desert, but if you stick with him and follow his ways, he'll turn your desert into a pool. These are the ways of God. Real quick, do I have time? Yeah, I'll let's make some time. Read this long section of James chapter 4. James chapter 4, I'll read it from here. You think I'm completely changing the subject. Stick with me, we'll get to the point. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Why are we so unhappy? Why are we so alienated, from, irritated with one another, and start to pull away from one another? Well, why is all this going on? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. I'm trying to get more of the world stuff. God's trying to give me more of Him. I value the wrong things. You don't value what I value. So you're crazy. You desire and you don't have. So you murder. You have you can't get it. So you fight, you fall. You don't have because you don't pray. I guess it's the simple stuff. I wouldn't suggest you ask God for. But you know it's simple. That's why you don't pray. You just try to get it on your own. Verse 3. You ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on yourself. We need to go to Mass. We need to go to Mass. And then and so I'm, 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 I'm going to be like a couple weeks. I don't see you on Sunday, but I'm all about you, Jesus. All about you, Jesus. But I'll, I'll catch up. I'll, I'm with you, Jesus. We're asking for something. It's all about my self-indulgence. First of all, you adulterous people. Don't you know principle of the world is enmity with God? Oh, that makes me shudder. First, he calls us 
fornicators. I'm not sleeping with my spouse. I'm sleeping with this other woman. I'm not pursuing things of God. I'm pursuing things of the world. I'm a spiritual adulterer. Get it? You love the world more than you love God. Whoever wishes to be the friend of the world makes himself the enemy of God. Our future does us no problems with Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell in us. Do you think God is joking when he says, Oh, my longing is to give you the fullness of the Holy Spirit. My longing is to give you a joy beyond your wildest imagination. You think your joy comes in life experiences and money and freedom and no accountability to anyone else. What you don't know is your greatest freedom comes from the Holy Spirit that's already in you. He gives more grace. That's why the Bible says he opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Oh, the proud. They're saying, we're going to go this, we're going to do this, and we're going to conquer the world. And the humble says, I don't care much about conquering the world. I'm trying to conquer my own habits and sinful desires. I'm trying to conquer that. But I do want to be used of God and, and to have a life that counts. So, that's what you want, verse 7. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. If it says resist, he will flee, then if he's not fleeing, it's because I ain't resisting. And the opposite of not resisting is saying, hey, 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 say. How close can I get before I get burnt? Why can't I get away with it and still be okay? I mean, I'm not saying you have to give up, be a Christian. Man, we asked the wrong question. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. He will flee from you. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You double-minded. See, in church, you got eight minutes. You got three minutes left. Three minutes. You said, yes, we're going to be five over. You know that. We're more interested in what's going on out there than what's going on in here. Cleanse your hands. Purify your heart. Stop being double-minded. Be wretched. And mourn. Weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning. You're laughing at the wrong stuff. We all know that's true of us. I'm flipping channels. There's a lot of preaching and, and discipleship, especially on YouTube. So I'm, I'm surfing on YouTube when I come across something that has nothing to do with preaching or discipleship. And all of a sudden I catch myself laughing and I think, that ain't funny. Oh, that ain't funny. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And in due season, for old King James says, he will lift you up. Humble yourself, Father. I am so dependent on you. I do not have it all together. I am so reliant upon you. And I need to say that to you privately, and I need to say that publicly to my family, to this church family. If, if, if you think you won't live until you're out, you got strength. I got spiritual strength. You're kidding yourself. We need one another. There's something going on. We need small groups. We need it. Mutual accountability. We need the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. We need to be reminded of just how frail and unbelievably near I am to shaming the name of Christ in any given moment of my life. I am way closer to that than any of us think we are. Humility makes you own that. Yeah, I could get real stupid real fast and shame the name of Christ. But all of us are parents are thinking, you had to work that out. I'm not saying let's clean up for the sake of image. I'm saying let's get near Christ for the sake of intimacy with him who loves us 
who all he had to do was speak. And the landscape changes. By circumstances and rearrangement. Humble yourself before the Lord under the mighty hand of God. And at the right time, He will exalt you. He will lift you up. Maybe that could be today. Stand with me, let's stand.